Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who didn't tell me how confusing the MacBook touchpad was. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I did not. I wanted you to get to figure out that monstrosity for yourself. So, yeah, my old computer failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, managed to get myself a new one. It has the touchpad and I just don't understand it, Taylor. What is this thing? What does it want me to do? You mean, do you mean where it used to have like the function keys? Yes. Is oh. touchpad even the right word? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I thought you were talking about the trackpad. I was a little confused. I was like, you, no, you've had that before. I understand yeah. the trackpad. I'm talking about the, that magic yeah. strip at the top that just mm-hmm. things appear on it and I don't know what to do with them. I mean, I, I am very much a, a lay person when it comes to these things. I feel like usually I just message Christian Polanco and ask him to explain things. Uh, but I think that's I like what it I'm for gonna the, do. That's what I'm going to do. That's what you should do. Uh, I like the brightness. It makes the brightness control easier as well as the volume control. And then I think you can control multiple um, tabs at once in there. So you can like pull up different stuff just by, te- by touching different uh, okay. options. So that, yeah, that's the feeling I'm getting is that there's a whole magical world of control in there, but I don't understand how to use it. Yeah. So this, I guess this is probably a debate among computer owners, right? Is whether this thing is revolutionary or a complete nightmare. I mean, I it, there's always an element of uh, so obsessed with whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think if you should when it comes to new app, uh, Apple products. Yes. Uh, and there, there's uh, oftentimes there's a like, you guys didn't need to remove the headphone jack. I was kind of enjoying that. <laughs> I feel like now you're going to add it to the next one and I'm going to have to rebuy yeah. all this crap. Yeah. And we now, both of us now need an adapter just to get our computers to connect to our, um, our mixing boards. Right? That is true. Or yes. any, anything USB based, which yeah. I mean, Apple just decided USB was obsolete probably 15 mm-hmm. years before it was. I look forward to five years from now, just the Apple like metal circle that you can buy is just a hard <laughs> metal circle. And that's a computer now, Daryl. Make your peace with it. And you have to just think what you want it to do. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's doing so many things right now. <laughs> $4,000. And you won't know how to use it. <laughs> oh, let's move on. But don't let's get it move wet. On. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's move on to some soccer stuff. Yeah, I learned that one the hard way mm. as well. We both did, right? Yeah. Um, Leo Messi updates. It's mm. Messi Watch. Messi Watch 2020. We promised updates um, after yesterday's show. What we know today is that Messi's father slash agent, mm. Jorge Messi, has had a second day of talks with Barcelona um, and essentially what, what I understand from the reporting is that what's been agreed is that Barcelona will stop fining Leo Messi mm-hmm. quite a lot of money per day for not turning up to training. So some progress there, but uh, that's not getting very far, is it? It is not. And then you see the reporting on those conversations and you can see who is leaking what and to whom because you either hear, oh, Messi is now considering a U-turn. He might stay for another year. He might stay and end his career there. And then you're hearing nothing has changed. Things are still as they were. Uh, and I'm inclined to think that maybe the nothing has changed is coming from Messi's side and the he's definitely going to come back is coming from the Barca side. Yeah, so Barca said they've given him a few days off to, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an official few days off. So he's not like... AWOL from practice. He's uh, got leave to be off from practice to give him time to think about his future, yeah. which is, I think, them just trying to nudge the conversation back in the direction that you keep predicting it's going, that Messi might end up staying at Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, like, I literally have two different headlines in my Reddit feed. George Messi confirms for the first time that Leo Messi is studying the option of staying one more year at Barca. Uh, and then there's another headline. Leo Messi's decision has not changed. He wants a friendly departure and a market value close to 108 million pounds. So conflicting stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, establishing or agreeing with Barcelona a market value would get them out of that weird thing about whether he was allowed to leave or whether mm-hmm. he's supposed to cost se- the 700 million 
release fee, if they can agree a market value that someone will, I assume Man City will happily pay that amount, uh, then everything is smooth for departure, right? It is. It, it's interesting. I guess if you want to read between the lines, as we often do, if he is sort of going that route of like, okay, let's find a fee we can agree on, then I'm sort of surprised because I, I have to believe a lawyer would say, don't concede that right away because you're then basically conceding that, yeah, I maybe missed that window, but I still want to leave, which I don't really believe is the case. I think with the season being extended as it was, you have to kind of forgive that that specific window that he was yeah, given the opportunity. If you're Leo Messi, would you rather just have Man City spend an extra hundred or so on you um, to make that transfer happen straight away? Or would you rather see this drag through the courts, right? Even if you believe that you're in the right, you still might be out of action for six months, 12 months um, as this goes to goes to court. And it's not your money that's being spent on the transfer fee, right? So it's a much smoother departure if you can get Barca to agree that, yes, we will accept this amount for you and then we won't have to have a whole legal thing. I suppose that is how deals get done, practicality versus uh, yeah. like stubbornness. Yeah, good call, yes. Daryl. I call. am impressed by what you managed to find between the lines there. <laughs> I mean, it's strange though, right? Like if, if, if one side says one thing and one side says the other, and then one of those sides is like, well, maybe not. But I still feel that way, but maybe not. It's just, it, it feels like your position is slightly weakened, is I guess what I mean. <laughs> one man who's very clear on what he wants to happen is Liverpool left back um, Andy <laughs> Robertson. Yeah. Um, noting that like, you know, Leo Messi was pot- would possibly play on the right and Liverpool and Man City are title contenders Andy Robinson is very very clear that he does not want Leo Messi coming to the Premier League yes I, I like I that I hope he stays where he is was the basic Robertson quote and I think Tony Cruz was was essentially he he did all of the proper things before saying the but but throughout yeah. the like you know it's always great to have him and it makes the league stronger and he's just a known figure but that said, as his direct rival, yeah, I wouldn't mind him leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think this isn't a surprise. Sergio Ramos said the exact opposite yeah. thing. That if of you're going to go head to head with Barcelona, you want them to have the best so that we can be the best. Um, that man is such a competitor. He is. He really, really is. <laughs> Sergio Ramos is the guy you want on your team and simultaneously don't want on your team. Exactly. <laughs> he's uh, the one complaining when it's like like the game is canceled in a monsoon and he's like, this is nothing. This is ridiculous. <laughs> we should be playing right now. It'll pass. It'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going out anyway. I'm going to win some headers. One extra bit of, uh, not exactly news, but just so people know what's going on. The UEFA Nations League, um, it's back in action. Um, it, the big game today was Germany-Spain, which finished 1-1. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm going to use my um, Fubo TV catch-up to watch uh Germany versus Spain. Thank you, Univision Extra. Um, it should be it should be on there. Um, I, I just want to welcome back the Nations League. And as a mm. Nations League convert, I assume you feel the same, Taylor. He Boo. said, slightly egging you on. Boo. You still yeah, be in I'm the excited. Nations League? I'm excited. It's you cool. Are? I mean, it, it, as I said to you before we started recording, looking at the lineups for Germany, Spain made me feel all of my 36 years when it's that sort of like, I don't yeah. know half of these names, or at yep. least I know them, but it's not the like, well, that's not the back four I'm used to. What's happening, Spain? Yeah. As ever, I was sort of terrified by a Bayern Munichless yeah. uh, Germany, because mm-hmm. obviously those players are getting a rest after the Champions League final exploits. Still managed to field a front three of Timo Werner, Leroy Sana, and Julian Draxler. I it's guess Draxler didn't it's play enough in the Champions League final, so he, could, no. he was happy to get involved. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he is. I'm sure with that team he would be. Yeah. Um, okay, so maybe more Nations League chat mm-hmm. in the future. We've got a question about international soccer later in today's show, but let's start today, Taylor, for our six listener questions. Let's start with a US men's national team player, possibly on the move. Mm-hmm. First question comes from Nathan Shilly. Nathan Shilly asks... 
Is Reggie Cannon's impending move to Boa Vista, which is in Portugal, really an upgrade from FC Dallas? Um, I feel like I understand where this question is coming from, but my answer remains yes, because I don't really see it as upgrade in terms of Boa Vista are automatically a better team than FC Dallas. They would beat FC Dallas every single time, so therefore he's moving to a better team. They might be. I can't claim to be like that familiar with the team that finished 12th, I think it was, in the Portuguese league last season. But what I will say is it moves him to a, a good league that has been proven yeah. to be a good jumping point to the rest of Europe, and I think it allows him to get some familiarity with Europe and then there's obviously other things in there as well. Yeah, oh, we'll we'll get to the Lille connection in just a second. But cool. if we can we take this um just on its own as if he was sure. just going to Bovista and there wasn't the Lille connection. Mm-hmm. The standard of play in the Portuguese Liga, um Primera Liga is actually really, really high, mm-hmm. right? There's, and Portugal keep producing all kinds of talent and then exporting it. But before it gets exported, that talent plays in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And there's giant clubs there, like we talked about with Benfica and Porto and Sporting. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty comfortable saying that the standard of play in Portugal is higher than Major League Soccer. And yeah. that's not a knock on Major League Soccer. I just think um, Portugal's not like Big Five, like La Liga, Bundesliga, Premier League, etc., but it's in that next tier, right? It's yeah. in that next tier where the standard is still really, really, really high. And a lot of high quality players are playing there and they'll soon be moving on. Yeah, exactly. And and I think then the retort becomes, well, yeah, it's not one of those big three teams or maybe, maybe like even big five in Portugal, but yeah. really big but three. But you play against them. You do, but also like those big three sign Portuguese or players from the league to then play for them to then yeah. sell on. Like, so it could get him that route as well, or maybe he just has success with Bovista and stays there. You never know. But I think it does at least get him to Europe. And I think I've seen the reporting or some reporting saying that like after the reaction to the player protests and the way things went down with the Dallas fans, that there's also maybe some idea that he was more inclined to leave and get to Europe sooner rather than later. Well, I think he was always inclined to leave sooner rather than yeah. later. We've talked before on the show about Reggie Cannon's um, you should sell him incentivized contract, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's, um, I think he was on a pretty That's low right. salary yeah, yeah, for yeah. a player of his quality, like maybe only 90 to 100,000 um, a year, right? So like an, a, just an average lawyer is the salary that Reggie Cannon um, is earning right now when he's actually the US men's national team starting right back. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it's incentivized so that if he stays longer at FC Dallas, that salary goes up and up and up at an alarming rate if you're FC Dallas trying to keep under the salary cap. And so you're then incentivized um, to sell him on, which is a really mm-hmm. clever um, sort of... Uh, it's almost like the sequester deal that yeah. um, Obama and the Republicans did, right? Where you you both lose out if you stay if you stay too long. Um, so they're encouraged to sell him. He was always going to leave. I'd argue it's a shame that he's leaving after um, having those fans um, mm-hmm. like be like be abusive in that way. Or you could argue that like he's kind of leaving on a high in terms of that that press conference he gave was kind mm-hmm. of magnificent, right? Oh yeah. But I guess I guess he would prefer to leave on on a happier note, right? In terms of fan interaction. Yeah, I mean, at least he's not demanding a hundred million as a valuation before he moves on. <laughs> I think that's where he started, and he uh, negotiated down <laughs> from there. Um, but let's talk about the Lil connection. Oh yes, uh, I want to say really quickly. Sorry, because it connects to Bovista. I should just add, I did do a sort of dive into their tactics to see if it would benefit him. But the answer there is that they brought in 36 year old Vasco Seabra as their new manager. He got his team to fourth in the Segunda Pro, the second division in Portugal last year. So not a whole lot written about his tactical preferences, but a 36-year-old coming in, you'd expect some innovation, some new ideas, but I can't say if he's going to be in a back three or back four or anything like that. But uh, I just wanted to throw that in there that we can't really say 
much from a tactical perspective. So we're looking at this from a broader Portugal and then maybe also France perspective. Yeah, and the reason maybe also France is that there is a relationship between Lille in Ligue 1, the team that Tim Weyer plays for, that Jonathan David plays for, that Renato Sanchez plays for. It's a really good team, right? Jose Fonts plays for them. Um, so Lille has a relationship with uh, Boa Vista in that right now three players from Lille are on loan at Boa Vista. Um, and the owner of Lille, Gerard Lopez, who is uh, both Spanish and Luxembourgian, I believe, um, is a minority owner at Boa Vista and I think is soon to be a majority owner at Boa Vista. So there's essentially going to be um, a Lille as the parent club, Boa Vista as the junior club relationship between Lille and Boa Vista that I think is only going to get more solid if Gerard Lopez um, is the majority owner of both. And apparently, uh, I read on Third Degree, which is a really great FC Dallas uh, website and mm. Twitter feed, um, the reason that this deal is taking a little while to work out is that they're still trying to figure out the exact nature of the deal. For example, are Lille actually going to buy Reggie Cannon and then loan him to Boa Vista? Mm-hmm. Or are Boa Vista going to buy him and then like have some sort of agreement with Lille in the future? But the reason to be even more... Ex- so we're saying we would be excited about this even if it was just a Boa Vista move, right? Because it would yeah. be a step up and a step across the Atlantic. Um, for It's probably the shortest step across the Atlantic you can take, isn't it? Uh, to, to Portugal. Yeah. Um, but it's also got this, like, your future's laid out. You're going to be the Lille uh, right back, which is a big deal, right? Lille are a really exciting team. They've always got youngsters um, that they, they sort of buy well um, and, then, and then go from there. Right now, Lille have a 23-year-old Turkish right-back named Zeki uh, Şelik. Um, if the C has a little hook on it, Taylor, at the start of Şelik, sure. am I pronouncing that? Çelik. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, Zeki Çelik is the right-back, 23, apparently very highly rated. I'm not very familiar with him. He's been there a couple of years, and apparently he'll be moving on in the next year or two. So I think there's essentially um, a succession planning type thing going on here for Lille's right-back. And that means soon we'll be watching Lille and looking at Reggie Cannon and Tim Weyer at the same time. They're going to be the new American team. So you're saying this is definitely going to happen? I mean, I feel like it is. I can't guarantee anything because all I'm doing is reading things on the internet, right? Uh, no, I would like you to guarantee, and you've done that now. I forced you into that position. Um, do you have any, like, hesitation about that? Oh, like, it's it's... This is coming from a perspective of like yesterday you said like oh I think City have like like a, like a team in Spain like they've got a few I looked it up do you know how many teams City Football Group own Okay let me take your running guess They have a ve- uh, or have a vested interest in I should say Okay so officially City Football Group has Manchester mm-hmm. City NYCFC Melbourne City and some sort of ownership of Hirona mm-hmm. and then I can't say for sure beyond that I mean there's there's women's teams as well obviously but what in terms of men's teams what what ten. am I missing They own 10 teams Ooh, can you yeah. name any more uh, yes, I looked them up. There's pop like quiz, the, pop quiz, hot shot. Uh, Mumbai City FC in India. Uh, Sichuan yeah. Junu is a, I believe, I forget what, uh, China, I think. Sichuan's uh, definitely China because I've eaten the food named after that. We, uh, I probably. guess that is just spelled differently. Yeah, yeah. I'm stupid. Uh, and then also there is Yokohama Marinos. There's a team in Montevideo. They've got teams all over the place. There's another one in Belgium. They've got a Belgian first division team. They added, oh, that's what it was. They added a, a second division French team today. So I look forward to them one day challenging PSG. That feels so Messi's got all kinds of options. Yeah, exactly. But so, <laughs> so with that in mind, I guess like for some strange reason, I'm okay with it when it's Red Bull and City. Like maybe just because they felt like, okay, these are the two they're going to do that, but it's not going to be the way everybody goes. And now I guess I just have this feeling that 
we are starting to get into like now we're going to move away from there being individual banks. There's only three banks anymore. There's only two grocery stores. Like, are we going to get there's only like six different people who own all the football clubs? I mean, it is edging in that direction, right? It's weird. Yeah, there are more and more sort of layers of ownership. Same with like uh, Watford have mm, a relationship Pazos, yeah. in Italy yeah, with what Udinese, I want to say. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of linked teams. I'm, I'm weirdly okay with it. I mean, as long as it's not in the same country and in the same league, the same domestic league, I kind of think it's okay. And I honestly think it helps give players stability, right? It, it's given Tyler Adams a path from New York Red Bulls to RB Leipzig. And it's giving potentially Reggie Cannon a path from Dallas to Boa Vista uh, to, uh, over to Lille in, in Ligue 1 yeah, in France. Right. I, think, I, I think it's okay. I think it helps establish pipelines and relationships and honestly might just help keep certain clubs in business. That's probably true. I think I just take the like Bill Burr route when the person at TVS asks him for his phone number. <laughs> it's like, and, and eventually it boils down to like, cause you're up to something. I know you're doing something. I don't know what it is, but I don't want you to have my phone number. And I just feel like, like there's some ultimate plan of City Football Group owning all of the teams in the world. And I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but I feel like there's some little known FIFA plan or like bylaw that if one ownership group owns half the teams in the world, then they own all the teams. They want to send you coupons. That's what City Football Group. <laughs> <laughs> there we go that's probably what they want to send you a coupon from every country on it <laughs> um anything else to add on this no i think i'm pretty much on topic with richie cannon <laughs> uh what i will do is ask you the next question if that works for you have at it Taylor. all right tim cato uh has anyone talked about how chelsea and the u.s men's national team are playing similar systems moving forward if the costa rica friendly and frank lampard style since the restart are to be believed what are the systematic similarities and differences between the two teams Ooh, okay this is a good question from tim cato a colleague by the way at the athletic mm-hmm. uh just not not on the soccer side um no one's talked about this i don't think unless they've done it through a pulisic type Tim has. Tim's talked about it. Tim's talked about it. Yeah, maybe he's first. Okay, there are similarities, but there are definite differences, right? Um, first of all, I would say the way Frank Lampard sets up, the actual formation is changes from week to week, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen 3-4-3, 4-3-3. We've seen 4-2-3-1, sometimes 4-1-4-1. He, he mixes it around a little bit. I would also say that Frank Lampard's pressing that he asks Chelsea to do it's like a man-to-man or they call it man-oriented pressing and really high up the field is much more high risk than what Greg Berhalter asks the U.S. men's national team to do yeah uh, especially the, the game against Costa Rica that we talked about at length right but I'm gonna have to say it one more time for context here and for people who don't know against Costa Rica to me it was more of a um, the medium version of the Liverpool press where it's uh, you don't go man-to-man and high up the field you just kind of uh, the wingers cover the passes out to the fullbacks, but don't actually mark the fullbacks, right? And you just try and funnel everything inwards, and then you have three aggressive midfielders to win the ball back. So you don't actually stretch yourself out all up the field, whereas Chelsea do. And I, I keep arguing that the reason people keep saying Chelsea have defensive, pro- defensive problems, it's because they're so aggressive in pressing. They're also aggressive in attacking, right? They take risks and commit a lot of numbers forward. And I would say that it's... Similar to what the U.S. men's national team does, but again, it's much more gung ho and leaves a lot more leaves a lot more holes at the back, essentially. And I enjoy yeah. it. I love watching Chelsea for that reason. But that's the difference between the men's national team and Chelsea. Yeah, you get the impression 
that whereas Greg Berhalter would say, like, it is fundamentally important we not lose possession here, here, or here, and therefore we need to have you here. Like, I feel like there are contingencies for how that won't be allowed to occur. I think Frank Lampard is much more of a try stuff sort of manager. Yes. And I'm not trying to do a disservice. I'm not trying to over, overly simplify what he does or dumb it down at all. Just that I think he backs his attacking players to try stuff and do stuff. And that's why you yeah. don't see him get annoyed when Pulisic does a step over and loses the ball the way other managers will. Louis van Gaal hates individual expression. Frank Lampard, <laughs> I think, does not. Yeah, so it is a possession game when you watch Chelsea, but it's a possession game where risks are taken, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I, w- I would argue Berhalter with the men's national team, it's been much more methodical, right? There are certain moves and interchanges that happen. And there might be that on Chelsea, but it might just be that Chelsea have higher quality players and they play in a faster-paced competition. And so it all just happens much more quickly. Yeah, I think Frank Lampard can sort of rest assured that he has a around 11 world-class players, or at the very least, very, very good competitive Premier League players. The United States does not have that luxury. And so I think they can't take some of the risks he can, and they also cannot bring on any of the many, many well-paid players that Frank Lampard can. I think so... Beralter has to be a little bit more, I think, careful in his approach because he can't have the luxury of having world-class players who can do things on the ball that yeah. most people cannot. I mean, I just think having watched Columbus Crew as well, he just is like naturally a little more methodical, yeah. whereas, yeah, Chelsea, it's just a bit more, let's go, let's entertain. Um, can we talk about Pulisic's role? Because sure. one thing that interests me is I wouldn't be surprised if Berhalter watching Pulisic do so well for Chelsea mm-hmm. will seek to... Um, have him do a similar thing for the U.S. men's national team in terms of uh, position. So would that be starting on the left, but then going central as he wants? Yeah. So so for the men's national team in the past, Pulisic has either played as like the left-sided attacking number 10, who then like switches with the left winger, right? Like it was Paul Ariola. So sometimes Pulisic would pop out on the left and Ariola would come in field and they'd switch back and forth. I wouldn't be surprised if going forward, Pulisic is just part of a front three. He's the left-sided part of a front three. Sometimes he provides lit, uh, width on the left, but the key thing is to try and get Pulisic in the box. Mm-hmm. And But that obviously means a change in what we have done for a year and a half or so under Berhalter. And there'll be no more of the Tim Ream as left centre-back, left-back. And there'll be much more of probably someone like Serginho Dest being the attacking, overlapping left-back. Because someone has to provide that width if Pulisic steps inside, right? Yeah. So so then do we think that, is there a chance that maybe a year from now they are much more similar? Or do you think there will always be differences in the approach? Mate, you could argue that as the players just get more used to Berhalter's system, that maybe it looks a bit more like Chelsea. But I don't mm-hmm. think he'll ever take the brakes off the way that Frank Lampard does. No, I can't see that either. <laughs> even against even against quote-unquote weaker opposition, I think he will still want to refine the system because I think it's about the patterns of play and getting the repetitions down so you know how to be and where to be when you need to be. And I yeah. think Frank Lampard, or, yeah, Frank Lampard is going to be much more score five goals and we're good. <laughs> it's why I look forward to watching Chelsea. Yeah. Not just not just for Pulisic anymore. I guess uh, Berhalter likes watching Chelsea, but looks forward to watching other teams. Did you see his quote that came out today? No, what's he saying? Uh, Christian Pulisic is perfect for Chelsea. All dangerous offensive actions run through him. If he maintains this level, he can play for the biggest clubs in the world, like Bayern, Barcelona, or Real Madrid without any problems. Chelsea fans didn't really love that one so much. Wow, so Berhalter's <laughs> pushing him onto the next level. Already. Apparently, already. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Pulisic to Barcelona confirmed, 200 million. <laughs> I do, I like the um, the confidence, but yeah, it's probably not a greatly judged comment, is it? No. <laughs> the top comment on Reddit was just, cheers, Greg, <laughs> from a Chelsea fan. 
what if Pulisic doesn't turn up to training because uh, he's demanding a move to Bayern Munich or Real Madrid or Barcelona? Yeah, I guess Agent Berhalter is already already working his magic then. <laughs> okay, before we move on, Taylor, mm-hmm. let's talk about today's sponsor. I hope you're feeling hungry because today's sponsor is HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Amerishkas indeed. Um, I you am hungry, Daryl. You know the Darryl. country I meant. <laughs> Marrakesh, exactly. South uh, of Canada. <laughs> HelloFresh offers convenient delivery right to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. So you don't have to go to the grocery store. That's nice. You don't even have to leave your home. That's also nice. You can just have the stuff delivered and you can spend even more time with the people that you've been locked down with. Um, and HelloFresh say you can save about 40% by using mm-hmm. HelloFresh versus sop- versus shopping at your local grocery store. I'm getting there, Taylor. I'm getting there. Um, You're doing your best, bigger. And it's more convenient, too. It is convenient because they drop the bucks right at your doorstep, nice and refrigerated. Daryl, the key is to talk so fast that you don't actually have spaces between the words. That's my <laughs> approach. And then no one can actually tell what I've said, which is both good and bad for a podcast. But what is, sure is. definitely good is that HelloFresh offers so many delicious options every week to help you break out of your recipe rut. We've talked about the recipe rut before. That is a thing that I tend to do when pressed for time. I'm making the same sort of thing over and over and over again, I'm, even if I only have like 20 minutes. I, me and my wife were talking about this the other day. We are in a recipe rut just because we've been going to the same grocery store and mm-hmm. buying the same things. Yeah. For the past, however long it's been since pandemic started, six, mm-hmm. seven months. Yeah. So we um, we deliberately went to a different grocery store recently to try and freshen it up. But the other way to do it is to get a box of HelloFresh. Yeah. Uh, I was recently told by my wife that not everything has to have oregano in it. So that's about where we are on that. Uh, yeah. With HelloFresh, <laughs> you don't always have to have oregano either because they're going to send you all the ingredients you need. If oregano is in there, then you can rest assured that it's necessary. But you don't then need to add that to anything else. Instead, you can trust what they sent you because you know it's going to combine very well. I was told that ramen noodles are not a proper meal. <laughs> you know what? She's not wrong. She's not wrong. Anything's a proper meal if you believe it is, Daryl. That's what I say. <laughs> but if you'd like to try HelloFresh, you could get $80 off. You can get $80 off. Oh if you go to HelloFresh.com slash 80TSS, that's 80TSS, and use the code 80TSS, and you'll get a total of $80 off your first month, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. Should One be more time. for more-ish details, because you can look at all the food and think, hmm, I would eat more of that. More-ish details, indeed. Uh, go to HelloFresh.com slash 80TSS. Use code 80TSS to get a total of $80 off your first month, including free shipping on your first box. Thank you, HelloFresh, for sponsoring today's Total Soccer Show. I agree. Look at the next question, Taylor. Oh boy. It's from our old friend, mm-hmm. Ira Jersey. Ira Jersey proposes a bit of a thought experiment. What if international soccer went away? First of all, how dare you, I say. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> international soccer is my favorite. But let's hear Ira out. Um, he says, I understand this isn't realistic, <laughs> but I wonder from an actual footballing standard perspective, if it might help top players get more time to rest or to play in additional domestic or international club competitions. Your thoughts are appreciated. I've truncated this a little bit, mm-hmm. Taylor. I essentially makes the case that um, the standard of football is higher with clubs because the players just spend more time together. Um, and so, you know, they're just in better sync. Whereas with international games, it's often players who haven't met up for a while. And so the standard isn't so high. Yeah. So would the actual footballing standard improve if we just did away with international soccer? 
I don't think so. And I will Ooh, say okay. up front that I agree with your sentiment. This question just straight up bummed me out because I would be very, very sad without international soccer. And with that in mind, I would then add the caveat that, like, I am not great when a question requires me to fundamentally change the way I see things. Oh, I thought, I, sort of, I thought I was saying, I understand this isn't realistic, uh-huh. but please, Taylor, just try. I'm pretty sure I, mean, I, I will. That. But I'm just saying, like, I think, like, there's a possibility that it would make soccer better, is what I'm saying. I just for me, because to some extent, like, it's always based around a World Cup and it's always about players going back to their country and combining well to play in a World Cup. To remove that equation, I'm sort of like, well, then what are they doing? Why does it matter? It's just like, yeah, they're playing for a club. <laughs> if there's nothing else, like, yeah, they're going to get more rest and that's all they're going to be focused on. But what I think it probably does is actually strangely limits player movement because are Brazil and Argentina going to want their players to go play elsewhere if they don't get to see them play for their national teams? Probably not. I think you end up get, going back to more regional styles of play because I think there's less player movement and I think that limits the game a little bit. I disagree with you hard because I would say that, for example, it's not that Brazil and Argentina, the national associations, get to decide who gets sold. Mm -hmm. Those clubs decide who gets sold because they need the money, right? There's essentially a business perspective to why players move from the Brazilian and Argentinian domestic leagues over to Europe and it's all about money, right? That's that's not what I'm saying. Money for the clubs. And then I'd also argue that... um, I, so I agree with Ira that the actual standard of football would improve, provided we didn't replace international dates with more domestic tournaments, because yeah. players do play too much. They do need more rest. So more rest, less injuries, uh, players just looking sharper. So the standard would go up, but overall, this would be the worst thing that could happen, because international football is the best. Yes, I I agree with you entirely. I just want to clarify what I mean is that I think fans would not be very as okay with Santos selling Neymar because we know he's going to play for Brazil and we sold him on and that gets us money and we can keep doing it. I think there's more of a, well, no, we want our players here. We want to be able to see them if we can't see them for the national team. So that's kind of where I was going with that. I also think I agree with you on the, on the windows, but I also think they would end up just filling those. That's where you'd get the, yes, Manchester United and Manchester City are supposed to have a week off because this used to be the international break and now it's the rest period but they're playing an unofficial friendly in Qatar instead I mean the Club World Cup would be just all over it right yeah Yeah, so the domestic dates would probably get filled in pretty Mm -hmm. pretty quick yeah but but you agree with the idea that if there was more rest then players would do better yeah absolutely because I mean look at look at professional sports in the United States and it is a product of competitiveness and you don't want to have a massive amount of overlap but what the NFL like starts in August, maybe September. And then like, if you're making the February, right? Yeah. If you're making the Super Bowl, you're there in February, but that's still a February to yeah, August for preseason or whatever. That's a pretty decent layoff. Like you've got time to recover football, obviously fairly physically demanding. Uh, but I think, yeah, then you look at soccer. Yeah, right. You've got like what two weeks and then you got a tournament and you got two weeks and you're back. Like, yeah, there's not a big break when it comes to international soccer. I also think Ira should be more careful because, as we know, Ira is mm-hmm. founder of Rail Central New Jersey, <laughs> right? The new USL yeah. League Two team, right? I think you should be careful that you or I don't go to the New York Times mm-hmm. or The Athletic or Soccer America and huh? say, hey, did you know that the founder of a team, a professional team in America, wants to ban the World Cup? This man's a maniac. We should, we should, we should, uh, March him out of soccer. Uh, I know what you mean, and I like that idea. I also just in- enjoy the idea of you actually trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> just, I tell you what, Daryl, go to the FBI, knock on the front door, and be like, hey, 
we've, we've got a problem here and just see how they respond. <laughs> I can see the headline. League two, USL League 2 owner in mission to destroy World Cup. Yeah, and I can see uh, uh, like Englishmen living in America sent to Guantanamo Bay. That's what I see happening. <laughs> you think Ira has that kind of power? That would be a flex if he got me sent to Guantanamo Bay. Uh, I mean, he's got some power. He's he starting does. a club. That's all I'm saying. He does. He does. <laughs> I will say again, just to reiterate, yeah. I for me, in, I love Wolves. I love international soccer more, mm-hmm. right? Like I yeah. love watching England and the US men's national team more than I love watching Wolves. I don't think I'm normal in that regard, and I especially think it's because I came to soccer through the World Cup, right? The, yeah. the moment the thing I fell in the moment I fell in love with soccer was England's run at the 1990 World Cup. So I'm always international football first and then like my love for soccer in the united states is very much channeled through the u.s men's national team and then later the u.s women's national team so i'm definitely national team first and it's for me really it's what it's all about everything else is kind of great but the when there's a world cup it's also when i enjoy the total soccer show the most right because we can Mm -hmm. just fully focus on what's going on and so yeah i love that that thing of it bringing the whole world together, where you know everybody's yeah. watching um, this game, even if it's you know theoretically not the highest profile game, right? If it's South Korea versus Ukraine, weirdly mm-hmm. everyone's still watching that game because it's the World Cup group game that's on that day. I watched South. Now watch Greece Nigeria. I think at like seven in the morning and was yeah. into it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's why international soccer is the best. Yeah, um, I do think like to a point you made earlier. I think that probably if this like hypothetical scenario existed it probably would then be that the club world cup takes the place of the world cup yeah and it's, of course yeah it, it, but even then like when you have an mls team in the CONCACAF champions league final most people are rooting for them but you're always going to get that like oh i don't like them we're there they're our rivals we're not rooting for them you don't get that sort of unified approach and if it was like a canadian team or if you're canadian and it's an american team you're not going to feel that connection either so i think yeah you're always going to want that like my national team with all of these players coming together and what's it going to mean? And you know that there are millions of other people out there watching. And it's not to say that it's squeaky clean and get out of here, Ira. (laughs) But here's the thing. And I know that Ira wasn't asking, is it should international soccer go away? Right. He's just asking the hypothetical question about football standards, which we mostly say, yes, great football standard would go up. Mm -hmm. But there is a thing where there is less business interest and less business control can be exerted on international soccer. Right. Like the uh, the city football group type thing we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, to play for England or the US or Nigeria or anywhere else, you've got to have that nationality in some way to be able to do that, right? So there's a certain purity to international soccer where it can't be manipulated too heavily, even though some nations might have tried. Yeah, I mean... The World Cup is being played in Qatar, is my right. response to that statement. I understand, but, but you get what I'm saying, right? I do, there is, I do, there I is do. a purity to the idea that you have to be this nationality to play yeah. for this team. Doesn't matter how much money is sloshing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think, and you're right, you, uh, credit to you, you have stuck with the spirit of Irish question, whereas I think I, 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 I took it a different direction. I think, but yes, fundamentally, if there's fewer matches for people to play and they have to travel to Honduras and then back to Germany and then to Costa Rica. Like, yeah, I think it's going to be harder on them. So it probably does make careers last longer and the quality of play is probably a little bit better. Yeah. It's maybe bad for their air miles for certain players. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But good Uh, in other ways. Would it? it, No, no, I've got one, just uh, Hmm. one like counter idea just to interrogate it a bit. Would it remove any motivation for players like so maybe there's uh, maybe there's players that feel like me where all they really really want is to play at the world cup right mm-hmm. they want to represent their country like i saw um ainsley maitland niles today being interviewed about his england call-up and he was just 
overwhelmed and emotional, right? He was really, really into it. I'm just wondering if it would take away a certain motivation to reach the next level. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're Jack Grealish and you're like, you're, you're thinking, okay, I'm doing pretty well. I'm a Premier League player. I want to play for England. I want to get to that next level. Yeah. I mean, I would even extend that to if you're a non-European player because... Yeah, I mean, yeah, any player, be... any player. I'm using England just because I saw it Well, today. no, but I, I mean specifically that that distinction because the Champions League then really rises to that next level of it is the premier competition. You would have the Club World Cup, but it's the Champions League is this big thing. And if you're from the United States or from Korea, unless you're very, 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 very good, you're not going to play in the Champions League and certainly not in the final. Uh, whereas if you're very, very good, you could play for your national team and then you get to go to this major international tournament where you're going to get yeah. to have different experiences and maybe you end up making the semifinals or something like that. You're still probably not going to win if you're Korea or the United States, but it, it, affords you that opportunity to have that run to have that excitement and get more people involved and i think yeah it really does limit the sort of globalness of the game to some extent so sorry ira we're keeping international soccer yeah. we're keeping we're keeping the world cup but we're not going to tell the fbi about it <laughs> next question mm -hmm. comes from richard rolson richard says i have often wondered if there has ever been a good british television show depicting a lower league football team I noticed there are, there are now two shows making a go of being about English football teams, Ted Lasso and the first team. We'll have to wait to see if these are any good, but I did wonder, have there been any truly good or great television shows about an English football team? So I am not the person to answer this question, obviously. Um, I will say that I did some research and I found a show called Rovers, which was on Sky, a comedy miniseries about a, about running a non-league club, uh, which I watched the trailer for and did have the, uh, amazing line of, we've named the Overflow Car Park after you. That one got <laughs> me. That feels like the beauty of running a, a non-league, uh, lower league club. Uh, but aside from that one, I don't really have much familiarity with British television shows, especially about footballers and football clubs daryl it seems like maybe this is more your domain so there is a little bit of a problem here where i moved i left england in 2005 because england is the place this is most likely to happen right so mm. i may have missed some stuff like for example what were the reviews like for rovers were they were they any good i don't know i think it was okay but i i didn't see much about it so i'm guessing it wasn't a smash hit all right i've quickly just googled rovers tv review on my phone mm. The first headline that comes uh -oh. up is from The Guardian. The Guardian's uh -oh. usually pretty harsh on TV. Yeah, Rovers Review, big bouncy football comedy that doesn't quite score. All right. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, so maybe it's fine. Not. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't quite score. Yeah, so it misses, basically. Um, is that... I forget how your people use that one. Not doesn't quite, quite Does means that mean? don't. Yeah, doesn't okay, quite score. Cool. Yeah. You but just about don't. means did. I mean, let's not... We can't start um uh, actually daryl can i can i pause this one here to say is it just that like running a football club is an inherently not that interesting thing like it's just you're running a business and so you have to add sort of artificial drama like i was reading about dream team which is a show that i've never watched but reading about it was amazing to hear i have watched dream team and i'm prepared to talk about it <laughs> somebody gets shot hosting the fa cup is what i read yeah. like like so i think it ends up becoming just a soap opera it becomes a normal drama i think because as we saw with sunderland till i die even a tub a club in full free fall is still just sort of a club in free fall it's not really that captivating so here's what i think i think this is like a more like a theory of television mm -hmm. but i think things are never really about the thing that they're about yeah true on, true. on the poster do you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. if um there can be a good football show but it has to really be about 
like a relationship, like a family mm. relationship or, you know, or someone's coming of age story or something like that. I think the problem with a lot of these football shows is that they think football first because that's, that's the first idea. It's like, hey, we need a football show. People like football. They'll watch it on TV. We can sell advertising. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and I think a lot of these come from the, they come at it from the wrong direction, if that makes sense. It does. Because then what I think they also forget is that a big part of liking soccer uh, is the watching the game and seeing what happens and being involved in the drama and it's really really hard to shoot that well we talked about that when yeah. we did our reviews of the english game but goal is another one that is notorious for like wait that person just dove out of the way but like beckham has that same thing we've joked about that it's really hard to shoot soccer that looks organic and real it is oftentimes like that person is deliberately dribbling and has no one around them was that a reshoot i'm not sure so i think also <laughs> it makes it really, really hard to have that as a kind of feature and it then ends up being a sort of side part of the show to some extent. I would say when I was a kid, or like maybe 19, 20 or so, um, I did watch Dream Team and mm -hmm. everybody I know watched Dream Team and it was weirdly entertaining and it was because it didn't really have high ambitions. It was just like a classic British soap opera, like EastEnders, Coronation Street, where essentially just... You have a, a large cast of characters and just outrageously dramatic things happen, mm -hmm. right? And then everybody like has big emotional reactions. And that that really seemed to work. Like you mentioned, someone got shot hosting, <laughs> hosting yeah. the FA Cup. Yeah. There were all kinds of crazy, crazy things happening. Um, they had a, I've just, uh, I remember there was a player called Luis Rodriguez was kind of the star. He was like this, um, I can't remember if he was Spanish or Argentinian, but um, it, it was in the era when a lot of foreign players were coming to the UK, right? Yeah. And the in the 90s and he was kind of good looking and like he had an affair with the um the one of the team owners um uh i want to say her name was linda um so it had this like, really soapy element to it mm -hmm. and it was just constant like laughable laughably big drama you know what i'm saying i, I think that one of the like the wikipedia summary i read said like as the series progressed it relied more on more, more and more on like outlandish drama and multiple players died. <laughs> so yes. It's like it's like a new player died every week, basically. Yeah, that would be a bigger died. deal. But the way that they do in soap operas, at least mm -hmm. in UK soap operas, which is kind of its own very specific thing. And mm -hmm. the, the way they made the football look really good, which is because it was, I think it was, it was on Sky, Sky One, which is like the entertainment channel, and there was Sky Sports in the UK. I'm pretty sure they took actual Premier League footage and recolored certain teams, right? So, um, Harchester United, which is the team that the dream team was, um, wore a purple, uh, kit. And so they would always just take footage and one of the teams, they would digitally alter it so that, um, hmm. one team was wearing purple. And they would just show quick shots, like um, from a distance of the action, and they would just cut in close when there was like Luis Rodriguez was heading home. There would just be a close yeah. shot, so you could see it was see it was him, and wasn't actually like Gianfranco Zola with his <laughs> with his jersey recolored. So they kind of had a clever way of getting around right. the uh, filming the football action is to just take real football action and paint one of the jerseys purple. <laughs> But with that said, first of all, I hope that somebody went through and screen screen grabbed a bunch of different players and assembled who was actually in that team because I bet they had some talent or they played some teams that had some talent. Yeah. Um, is there a way to make this show though, Daryl? Like, because you're right, it can't just be about like the ins and outs of running a soccer team. Like, I picture like succession, but with soccer. Like, who's going to take over the franchise or something like that? Like, yeah. that could be a way. But even then. It's going to rely on family drama and off-field incidents to kind of move the plot along. 
I don't know. I just, I don't think it's possible in a weird uh-huh. way. I think there's a reason it's failed so many times is because it's like, yeah, it's hard to film the soccer sequences. And you've, again, you've got to make it about something else, right? Like whenever we talk about our favorite football films, we both settle on looking for Eric, which is essentially about a depressed yeah. postman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and really like, I'm I'm struggling. I'm sure there are people who are screaming will be screaming into their headsets or what have you. But I'm struggling to think of a TV series that is about sports aside from like Sports Night or something like yeah. that. Like it tends to lend itself to movies because I feel like you're telling a contained narrative that fits in a specific time period. Whereas TV series, if if they're American, especially, are going to keep going. And then like uh, British ones, I feel like tend to have more of a like, planned end date, which probably also makes more sense. So I just don't know of, of a of a Dream show Team that has done not. that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. was we will churn this out until till the money stops coming. Yeah. I Lost would say, is the one I always go to with that. Not sports, but with a like, oh, this is we've got it all figured out. It's so tight. Everything's so interesting. And by like the fourth or fifth season, it's just like, what is happening now? <laughs> like, here's, okay. Here's the thing, Taylor. Neither of us have Apple TV Plus, mm-hmm. right? The yep. reviews I have seen for Ted Lasso so far, Ted Lasso may be the thing. Ted Lasso may be the, the show that is about English football, not about lower league English football, but um, about English football. And it's genuinely good based on critics' reviews and just like uh, regular people's reviews and reactions that I've seen. So I've I've kind of got hopes for Ted Lasso. Might be, that might be the one. All right, there we go. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's it then. Richard, start there and then maybe hope that he gets relegated or fired and hired by a lower league team. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah. I'm pre- we've tried to answer Richard's question. I think Ted Lasso might be the answer, but we haven't seen it yet, right? No. So we'll we'll try. We'll try and see it in the future. We shall do our um, best. We have two more listener questions to get to, Taylor. And but some scouting. First, and some scouting. Yes, lots of Americans have been in action and doing exciting things, right? Um, but first, today's show is sponsored by Manscaped. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have something down there that needs to be tamed, um, and Manscaped is talking hairy, big, and needs some support. Um, mm-hmm. Manscaped has you covered to keep things looking nice and trimmed and fully supported. So you've heard us talk about um, getting nice and trimmed before using the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0, but we haven't talked about support before, right, Taylor? What are, what are Manscaped getting at with their, with their advocation for support? I believe, Mr. Grove, they're talking about the anti-chafing cooling boxer briefs offered by Manscaped, uh, which is part of their new collection. They have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. So there's the support you were talking about. Well, Tyler, I mm-hmm. know advertisers love it when we use um, personal experiences to, to back mm-hmm. up what's going on in an ad. Completely by accident, I genuinely guarantee this was not pre-planned. That's exactly what I'm wearing today. Really? I'm wearing my Manscaped boxes, yes. And, as you well know, I am sitting in a very small room. I did. On a very Some would call it a closet. Some would call it a closet. It used to have a lot of shirts hanging up in here. Um, On a very warm day, the air conditioning does not reach this room. My shirts were not um, climate controlled. Um, It is not cool in here, but (laughs) there is one area of my body that still feels fresh and uh fresh and temperature controlled mm-hmm. i appreciate the, yeah. the fine footwork you're doing to get this one yeah um i i also kind of forgot that as we're as i have my ac blasting in the background sorry buddy uh but i am <laughs> glad that they're keeping you at least somewhat comfortable somewhat relaxed and then you could add in other products like their ph balancing liquid product the crop preserver you could throw yep. that in there too daryl and then you're extra comfortable 
didn't need it. Didn't need it today because these boxes are doing the work. They are doing the work. If you want to try it out for yourself, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TSS20. From moose to caboose, always use the right tools for the job. I'm confused about the metaphor. What's happening there? Moose and caboose? I don't even know what a caboose is. Oh, the caboose is the back, right? So I guess the moose is. is the front. There we go. Oh, yeah. there we go. Okay, we got there. Yeah. I was thinking <laughs> from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, I think there's how loose is your goose, but that's probably a different thing. I'm glad you, it, I think you stumbled upon it, Daryl. Well done. I doubt that Manscaped's copy is based on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. <laughs> I mean, it should be. <laughs> Let's move on to the next question. Um, Nick Hansen wants to know, do you think Jordan Morris will ever make a move to Europe? It's a good Maybe. question. <laughs> it is. Um, I think if he wants to, he will. Is <laughs> the best answer I can give. I don't think he's particularly motivated to. I don't get the vibe that he is the type of player that wants to like challenge himself in different leagues and learn new things and and try different like uh, tactical approaches or anything like that. Not that he's particularly averse to trying new things. Just that I think from what we've seen so far, he's happy to be in Seattle. It's where he feels most comfortable. He's got a life there and he's having success there. I don't necessarily see him wanting to change that, but I also wouldn't be surprised if a year or two or three down the road, he does decide now's the time to move abroad. Yeah, let's put this in context then. So Jordan Morris is 25 right now. Mm-hmm. I looked it up his birthday's in October next month. He'll be 26. Yeah. So he is not um, as young as he used to be, right? None of us are. But So put it in your head that Jordan Morris will be 26 this year. Um, he In 2019, start of 2019, he signed a new contract that was guaranteed for three years, right? So his contract with Seattle Sounders goes 2019, 2020, 2021. So that's through the end of next MLS season. And it has an option for two more years. And my understanding of that contract is that he earns progressively more each year. We also know that when he was offered that contract with Werder Bremen in early 2016, right, before signing with Seattle, um, there's the whole joke that it was about wanting to stay home with his dog. But really, uh, so I I went back and read the quotes from that time, and it was essentially Jordan Murray saying, I grew up, I'm local here, I want to play for my hometown team in front of 45,000 people. Right. Mm-hmm. So essentially, he likes being in Seattle. He's having a great time of it right now. He's bounced back for the last two years from that horrible, horrible injury. He is on fire right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw um, his recent goals, but he's an absolute threat for Seattle. He's playing like left wing, but um, with freedom to drift inside. It's almost like a Pulisic um, role, but but slightly different. And, you know, he switches around with Nicolas Ladero. He goes and um, joins uh, Rui Diaz up front and keep, keeps on scoring, he has suddenly become this two-footed player, right? He keeps refusing to admit it, because didn't you ask him? Mm-hmm. You asked him in a mix zone once, right? Have you been working on your left foot? He said no. The man lied to you, because he definitely has been working <laughs> on his left foot, right? We've been over this before. But um, I say that to say I'm really impressed, because we thought this was like a fatal flaw in his yep. game, and it's become this thing that has absolutely been fixed. He's a much more rounded player than he was. So mm. and it, that's my way of arguing that, He's managed to improve himself without leaving Major League Soccer. Right now, I think if we picked a U.S. men's national team starting 11 on form, he'd have to be in it. Um, even if we take form from just before the break, right? Mm-hmm. He was really good against Canada when we when we beat them on the, the return game. So weirdly, I'm okay with Jordan Morris staying in Major League Soccer because we have this thing of loads of players going to Europe, loads of playing as going to Europe. If there's occasionally just one guy like Jordan Morris that just prefers to stay at home, 
maybe it's just okay. Maybe it's fine. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, the difference, I guess, would be that, like, with Jordan Morris, to your point, like, we kind of know what we're getting. And I think the, where the consternation and frustration tends to be is when it's a player that we think, like, if Tyler Adams were refusing to go, and here's this guy who could be a fullback, could be a central midfielder, could be starting in the Champions League, like, like, but he's going to stay in New York. Like, that, I think, is where people get really frustrated. With Jordan Morris, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, yes, he can continue to develop his game and add new elements to it but i don't think that he's the type that wants to fundamentally change things and go to germany where actually now he's a right back instead or go to france and he's suddenly going to be tried as a center forward like i think he is comfortable in what he's doing and he is trying to make himself as good as he can at that thing and seattle are allowing him to do that so right now i don't see him wanting to change that um, maybe he will, but that's as good of an answer as I can give, I think. I would also say his track record suggests that he does stay where he's comfortable, right? He definitely mm-hmm. stayed at Stanford a year longer than we all thought he should. He just mm-hmm. wanted another year because he didn't quite feel ready uh, to move to professional soccer. So it wouldn't surprise me that maybe he gets to the end of 2021, right, which is the end of the guaranteed three years in his contract, and then there's the option for two more years. It may be that he's just, I think he could go and play somewhere in Europe right now, right? He could easily play in the Eredivisie. He could probably play at like a mid-level Bundesliga team really comfortably. Um, He could definitely play in France, but it would be a weird gamble where he'd have to mix it all up, right? Um, So, but it wouldn't surprise me if he just is thinking, all right, I'll get to the end of 2021 and then I'll make a decision. And it might be that it's a 27, 28-year-old Jordan Morris that thinks, Okay, I see 30 come in. Time is starting to be of the essence. Maybe now I'll go and give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think if he does that, it would be fine. But I also think people are like, okay to be frustrated that he didn't go play. Like, you can still have that feeling. He's not going to agree with you. I'm not sure I would agree with you. But I think, like, that's not me saying that, like, just let him do whatever he wants and there should be no pressure and we should just encourage people to live the life they want. I mean, I guess they should. They should. We absolutely should do that. What's that? We absolutely should do that. Yeah. No, I guess what I mean is, like, there is that line of, like, as I was saying, if Tyler Adams were just suddenly like, yeah, you know what, I don't really want to do it anymore, I think I would be pretty confused and like sad about that and i think there are probably people who feel that way about jordan morris or at least did in the past and i'm not trying to say like that experience is incorrect or not valid i just think that to sort of be like what should this guy do it's like i don't know why don't you ask him he's the guy we're talking about (laughs) i'm trying to game this out a bit as well right so end of 2021 that would be coming up to like he'd, Mm. he'd then be moving in the january transfer window of 2022 the world cup would be november 2022 Mm-hmm. So there's an argument that it would be unwise to make a move in January 2022 if you want to make sure you're on the U.S. men's national team roster. But if you, maybe if you go to Lille and get stuck on the bench for six nine months, you might be uh, playing yourself out of a World Cup roster spot. I think you've I think you maybe have unintentionally hit the nail on the head, which is maybe he does the Donovan thing of yeah stays with Seattle, but then there are loans to kind of play in the off season where he does go to a European club and get some minutes, but it's not locked in so that he doesn't find himself in that p- potential position of, yeah, never mind, you don't quite fit, and now you're sitting on the bench every week. Yeah. Ooh, this is tough, right? But I would say to answer Nick's question, do you think Jordan Morris will ever make a move to Europe? If I had to bet money on it, my bet would be no, just because he hasn't shown an inclination that this is a burning desire that he has. Yeah, not, I wouldn't I rule it, it out, but I'm, I would bet no just because it doesn't look that way. Yeah, if you're asking me to make a, a wager, I would wager on that. I'm with you as well, especially given the age. I kind of forgot about that as well. That yeah, yes, I mean he could play till he's 35, but is a European club going to want to bring in a 29, 30 year old who has no European experience? Probably not. 
Yep, exactly, exactly. Especially if his pace starts to fade, right? You never know. It hasn't yet at all, but it might. But it might. But it might. Um, and the, just to, to clarify as well, the good thing is there's loads of players going to Europe, right? So yep. if one guy stays because he's happy in Seattle, there's no point being mad at him. It's not mm. his fault. It's, he's no. doing what he wants to do. Um, I mean, it's right. kind of his fault, but I would say <laughs> fault is the wrong term, yeah. Yes, exactly. Are you ready for the final question, Taylor? I believe I am. Today's final question. Would you like question. me to ask it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's a men's national team question, so I'm excited. Chris Decker. Suppose Greg Berhalter was given the world's most advanced genetic engineering laboratory, oh boy, and a one-time hall pass for human ethics, which which physical qualities, mental aptitudes, or technical skills would he gene splice from which defenders in the current U.S. men's national team roster to create the ultimate American center back? I mean, first of all, why aren't we working on this right now, right? We should be. As soon as we've got coronavirus sorted, I want this next on the list. (laughs) That's it. Coronavirus, gene splicing to create a center back. Let's make there it happen. There we go. Okay, so we've got the priorities. Maybe that's right. what City Football Group are up to. Maybe, Maybe. you stumbled <laughs> They're trying to create <laughs> Maybe. the ideal football footballer. <laughs> By taking genes from around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we can do in the United States, right? With the melting pot. We should be able to, we're sort of doing this accidentally. <sighs> if we're doing things right. Anyway. Um, are, we, are we legally allowed to say there's a melting pot anymore or has that been outlawed? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think, I mean, that's how America should work, right? Anyway. Oh, yeah, it should work. I'm, yeah, I'm just alluding to our Oh, you think that might be situation. coming for you? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Let's get, anyway. let's get to gene splicing then, Taylor, mm-hmm. um, to create the ultimate American center back. I would go the height, left foot, and passing range, so mm-hmm. quite a lot, from John Brooks. Yep. I would add the pace of DeAndre Yedlin. Mm-hmm. I would add the skills, like foot skills, and EU passport of Serginho Dest. I had Serginho Dest passport. I literally had Serginho Dest passport. <laughs> That's outstanding, Daryl. The professionalism and attitude of mm-hmm. Reggie Cannon. Okay. Um, and the willingness to stand up for racial justice of also Reggie that. Cannon. The knowledge of English geography and the nasty streak of Matt Miazga. That's <laughs> what I would take from those guys. Why knowledge of English geography, or do you mean just that he's played for a bunch of different clubs? He keeps getting loaned around. There we go. (laughs) Or maybe the knowledge of British geography of Cameron Mm. Carter-Vickers, because he's been to Wales as well, right? Yes. Yes, he has. (laughs) It it occurred to me, I was, as we talked about uh, before recording, another view behind the curtain, uh, I I skimmed this question more so than read it in detail, and I I missed the part about it can only be defenders. So I was really surprised you didn't have Tyler Adams in yours for his intelligence and passing, although I guess he could be considered a defender if we wanted to start him as a, Ooh, as a right back I then that's a loophole that. yeah. uh, but i pretty much had the same thing you did i Ooh, had DeAndre I'm, gonna add, I'm gonna add then the ambition of tyler adams there we go i like that uh i had deandre yedlin's pace and then i also had aaron long's covering pace because i feel like i've mm. seen aaron long partner john brooks well and sort of make up ground and put out fires before they even yeah. happened Sometimes, sometimes not. But I would call uh, that Aaron Long's reading of the game. Yeah, there we go. Let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, and then I had Tim Ream's facial hair. He can grow a beard. <laughs> uh, and though he is not currently a national team player, you can never count him out, which is why I have Demarcus Beasley's unkillability. <laughs> Some would say longevity. I say unkillability. Yeah, he will outlive the entire universe. Like we might start him at left back in the 2022 World Cup. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, you got any more? No, that's it for me. That's quite the centre back we got there, isn't it? It is. I mean, I, I would, I would enjoy it. Are we having them play in Europe? Are they moving to Europe as a youngster? Are they going to start in Major League Soccer and move? What, what's the uh, what's the timeline for our, Ooh, our created player? I guess I would want them to be. You want centre backs to be experienced, right? So uh, I'm going to uh, say I want them to be 29 years old and playing <laughs> in the Premier League or the Bundesliga. 
I don't know All who right, that he, most tracks with. Here's a strange question. It, like, if if we if we were to go from because not saying that you were saying this, but if we were going from a youth development, like let's put them into a European team where they are going to become the best possible defender they can be. Is there a club that we would look to as like they they just make very good defenders? Because my my like stereotype reaction is to think it's somewhere in Italy, but I'm not sure if that's accurate anymore. Or if there are other places we'd rather they be. If you wanted to develop a world class defender, is there an academy you're going to put them in, Mister Grove? No, I think it's hard, right? Because defender yeah. is the hardest position as a young player to come through in. It's quite often that <laughs> centre back. I just saw get sorry. sent out on loan. To to emphasize your point, I was watching, I think, I forget why, but it came up on YouTube. It was like Roy Keane's best moments as a pundit. And one was uh, Mika Richards saying like, yeah, when I broke through, like I, I broke onto the scene, burst onto the scene. And Roy Keane raises an eyebrow and he stops and he's like, what? He's like, can a defender burst on the scene, really? <laughs> and it was, that was a devastating burn, but also gets to your point, Daryl. But he, but he did. Richards like, burst on the it's scene true. like a 17-year-old oh, right back playing for Man yeah. City. Right? He vehemently defended that position. Yes, he yeah. definitely thinks he did. He absolutely did, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, the answer is I don't know. I don't think there's anywhere that has a track record of always producing young defenders. I guess if I had to guess anywhere, I'd say Ajax. Right, yeah, Just because we've seen De Litt and multiple other young players come through there. So Junior Dest most recently. Yes, okay, I'm with you there. All right, let's put our unnamed Frankenstein into the Ajax Academy and see what happens. Yes, um, all right, best of luck to him. Best and as we all know, they will be evil though. That's what sci-fi has taught us. Yes, well, Matt Miazga. So, so then we'll steal a little bit from Rafa <laughs> Marquez just to Jeff make sure Cameron's that evil beard. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's from the Mirror Universe, right? Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got scouting reports about young Americans to talk about. Um, but first, let's hear a little bit about a new podcast from The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Show. I think every football season is a big challenge in one way or another. Introducing The Athletic Football Show, an all-new podcast with me, Robert Mays, and a team of world-class NFL writers and analysts. We'll feature expert guests and our plugged-in beat writers from around the league. What Patrick Mahomes did in the last nine minutes is just absurd. You can subscribe now to The Athletic Football Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. And stay with us all season long as The Athletic brings you what matters most in today's NFL. Thank you very much to the new podcast from The Athletic for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, Daryl Grove, shall we talk more about other things or should we talk more about scouting? Scouting. I see okay. Gio Reyna. I see Nick Tatagui. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about scouting. Who we scout? Who we got? Who we got? Who are the scouting reports from? I will start with Ryan Marzak, scouting okay. Gio Reyna. You may have heard of him. 17-year-old American midfielder for Borussia Dortmund. Gio Reyna scored the first two goals for uh, of Dortmund's 11-2 win over Austria Vienne in a preseason friendly on August 16th. Overall, Reyna has scored four goals in three friendlies this preseason. In addition, U.S. Men's National Team head coach Greg Berhalter said recently that Reyna is on the cusp of making his U.S. Men's National Team senior debut. Quote, he'll get a chance in our next game. That's very clear. End quote. Yay, that's good. Oh, I, but then I, I think there's a little injury to Rainer, right? That might uh-oh. hold him out until September the 14th, I was told. I don't like that. It was weird that Berhalter made that comment and then said, but he will never play for a club like Chelsea. <laughs> it felt hurtful. Dear, oh dear. Patrick Snyder is scouting Nick Tatagui, the 21-year-old American midfielder for Schalke. Patrick says, various reports have Tatagui joining the first team for the upcoming Bundesliga season. He has some good showings in scrimmages thus far during training camp. Enough good showings that Daryl Grove has pronounced Tatagui as the odds-on favourite for Bundesliga Player of the Year. Watch this space. I don't believe I said that, or did I? I do say a lot of things. I honestly can't remember. I was going to ask you the same question. 
I might have jokingly jokingly suggested that. Daryl Grove guarantees it. Put your money down. Yeah. He will reimburse you if it doesn't happen. <laughs> Zach Epstein scouting Julian Araujo, the 19-year-old American right back for the LA Galaxy. Julian provided two assists, uh, doubling his total from last season in the Galaxy's 2-0 win in El Trafico. Since the MLS restart, Araujo has started on the right side of midfield rather than his usual right back position. Lovely. Good for mm-hmm. him. Um, do we have an Efra Alvarez scouting report today? We do not. We do not. Okay. Alvarez scored in uh, Galaxy's most recent game. So that's getting mm-hmm. exciting. And I saw a thing from uh, Scalotto saying um, he's a really good player, but um, I can't use his skills when he's not fit, is a thing Ooh. from the past. And apparently, Efra Alvarez um, took that to heart and has really got himself in shape. Oh, nice. So we might okay, be good. entering the Efra Alvarez era. Um, and then we can all start panicking about whether he'll play for the US or Mexico. Um, Guy Yedwab is scouting Serge Gnabry, now 25-year-old German wide forward for Bayern Munich. Um, Guy says, Serge is now a Champions League winner, having played in every game along the way. He averaged nearly a goal a game, nine goals in 10 appearances. For these and other efforts, Gnabry inherited the number seven shirt from Franck Ribéry, fitting as they've both won the same number of Champions League. Um, Guy still wants to keep an eye on Gnabry's role with the national team and hopefully write glowing reports on his contributions during the Euros but it seems like he's not really a young prospect anymore and reports of Gnabry continues to start and score will probably not make for great audio Guy concludes that he would be happy to scout an Arsenal NYCFC Sky Blue FC or USMNT prospect we'll get that to you Guy we'll get that to you and Daryl's really good. He's going to find you one player that ticks all the boxes. There Should be go. easy. Make it happen, Daryl. Absolutely. Ian Shank, scouting Fernando Arce Jr., the 23-year-old Mexican-American midfielder for Nacaxa. I still don't know how to pronounce that one. One day I'll learn. Arce Jr. finally saw the field for Nacaxa in the Liga Mekis Apertura, starting as the lone defensive midfielder in their 1-1 to draw away to Monterrey. He then came on uh, for a five-minute cameo at the end of Nacaxa's home win over Santos Laguna. As a solo number six, Arce appears to be having trouble fitting into the starting position and manager Alfonso Sosa's preferred 4-4-2 lineup. Drew Trammell, a.k.a. Drieg von Truens, his mm-hmm. Dutch name, is scouting Martin Odegaard, the 21-year-old Norwegian winger for Real Madrid. Drew says, contrary to previous media and TSS scouting reports, Odegaard will be returning to parent club Real Madrid instead of seeing out the second year of the loan at Real Sociedad. Zidane reportedly spoke to Odegaard about his first team plans and the player agreed to return after initially desiring to stay with Sociedad. Additionally, on August 17th, Sociedad announced the signing of free agent David Silva after he left Man City, presumably to help fill the creative midfielder role left by Odegaard. This scout would rather have seen the two play together to help Odegaard learn more from an all-time Spanish great before returning to Real Madrid in 2021, but it's unclear if Silva should have come if Odegaard had stayed. Would have come, yeah. So maybe you don't end up getting both of them if Odegaard stays. Oh yeah, thank you for correcting that. Unfortunately, I wish um, scouting a player in the TSS Skating Network gave you a say. You should should be able to have a direct line to their coach, right? So they can make career decisions. But I can only guess that's from what... The, that's at the $30 level. We give you that connection. <laughs> I can only guess from Drew's report that if Zidane spoke to Odegaard about his first team plans and then the player was happy to come back, that Odegaard is in the first team plans, right? I, I would hope. I hope it's not a like, you saw Gareth Bale's deal, right? We'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gareth uh, Bale. Mm-hmm. 
Looking like Blanca. I forget who first pointed that out, but now it's all I can see. Uh, Jeff Markman scouting uh, Reese Nelson, the 20-year-old English attacker for Arsenal. Fresh off notching a penalty and an assist in Arsenal's 4-1 preseason v- uh, friendly win against MK Dons, Nelson was named to the England U21 squad alongside teammates Bukayo Sako and Eddie Nketiah. Uh, there's been some talk that Nelson may move in the window, but if he stays at Arsenal, this feels very much like the season he needs to make his breakthrough if he is going to be there long term, says Jeff. Jeffrey Tanner, scouting Bukayo Saka, says, in Arsenal's, he's an 18-year-old English all-rounder for Arsenal. Mm -hmm. That's the correct phrase. In Arsenal's community shield victory, Saka played on the right wing and created critical chances with crossfield passing. This included a perfect pass for Aubameyang that turned into a beautiful goal. I saw it and I agree. He does that, that about my yang. Adam Yasemin scouting Matthew Hoppe, H-O-P-P-E, 19-year-old American striker for Schalke. Uh, Matthew notched a goal and an assist in this past weekend's game, giving him four goals and five assists in five preseason matches for the reserve Schalke team. If Schalke go the youth route, he could see some Bundesliga action this summer. Hooray for planned mediocrity, says Adam. <laughs> it may be that Schalke are terrible, but it also may be that there will be roles for young Americans, right? Like Tatagui and Hoppe. So maybe we'll have to watch them again. <laughs> Phil Andreani is scouting Andre Green, the 22-year-old injury-played English winger for Unattached uh-huh. FC. Phil says Green's contract was extended to cover the end of his loan spell at Charlton, but he has since been released, ending his 15-year stint at Aston Villa. Oh, this, this is a this is a scouting adventure that I think might be coming to an end. It does feel that way. It does yeah. feel that way. We'll see what happens. We'll wait for the next one. But until then, Brendan Masser scouting Marlon Fossey, 22-year-old American right back on loan at Shrewsbury from Yay. Fulham. It's been not, a quiet not 20... Not far from me. Is it not? No, not too far, yeah. Oh, I think that that, uh, that miniseries I mentioned earlier, speaking of, is, is based on a non-existent Midlands club. So you can hear some Midlands accents, I would assume, <laughs> if you want to go that route. I hear enough Midlands accents I in my life. I figured you did. I'm good. For Marlon Fossey, it's been a quiet 24 months after he required surgery on his left knee shortly after the start of the 2018-2019 season. Last year, Fossey found himself getting irregular playing time in Fulham's Premier League 2 squad, deprived of football quite a lot over the past few years, as he says. With the senior squad back in the Premier League, Fossey was sent out on loan to Shrewsbury Town in hopes of finding some first-team playing time and career momentum. So that means he's with Shrewsbury Town for the upcoming season? Yes. All right. All right. Dan Martini, I'm actually excited about that because we just haven't <laughs> seen Fossey play, right? Um, Dan Martini is scouting Manuel Locatelli, the 22-year-old Italian defensive midfielder for Sassuolo. Remember he was once hailed as the new Pirlo when he was coming through at Milan? Um, oh, yeah. Dan Martini says Locatelli has been rewarded for his successful 2019-20 season by being called into the Italian national team for their upcoming Nations League games against Bosnia and the Netherlands. This is Locatelli's first call-up to the senior team and seems a logical decision after he started 33 of 38 games for eighth-placed Sassuolo. There are also rumours that he may be um, a Juventus transfer target, Mm -hmm. Locatelli. Yeah, so he might be a Weston McKenney teammate or even possibly competitor. Ooh, okay. I'd be fine with that. Let's make that happen. I think Dan did include that in the scouting report, but I cut it out because it was the rumors part. Well, I'll put it back in. I put it back in. Russell Finley, final report, scouting Eric Palmer-Brown, 23-year-old American centre-back on loan at Austria-Vienne from Man City. Eric Palmer-Brown has extended his loan to Austria-Vienne for another season. This past year, he played over 2,000 minutes for the first time in his pro career, collecting nine clean sheets. I hope he did not play in that friendly (laughs) against Dortmund that we mentioned at the very beginning, because if so, he didn't do very well. (laughs) So I had predicted that Eric Palmer-Brown would find a forever home, right? And Mm Austria-Vienne would sign him permanently, but it looks like no, that he's just going to go on loan for another season. I guess Austria Vienne just didn't want to pay a transfer fee. Right? Yeah, probably not. Why <laughs> no, at buy least not yet? 
why buy the defensive cow when you can get the defensive milk for free? I believe is how the phrase goes. When you can loan the defensive milk for free. This is me applauding. This is me applauding you over here. <laughs> I don't quite think that was applause worthy. <laughs> I mean, oh. you know, it's better than some of the puns. <laughs> well, thank you to everyone for today's scouting reports. I have fallen behind with assignments and reassignments. I will get it done. I promise I will get new assignments out there. If you would like to support the Total Soccer Show and become a Total Soccer Show scout, go to totalsoccershow.com slash join. All the information is there. If you'd like to ask us a question, which we might answer on the show, totalsoccershow.com slash questions and the special deal is if you subscribe and support the show at ten dollars a month or more then we guarantee to answer at least one question per month once again it's totalsoccershow.com slash join and totalsoccershow.com slash questions taylor any closing thoughts no just good to talk to you buddy same to you same to you i want to let listeners know what's going on next so there won't be a friday total soccer show Unless something really dramatic happens. Yeah, it wasn't that good to talk to you. It was good enough to talk to you today, not tomorrow. But let's take a break, right? Yeah. Let's take a break. Everybody enjoy the Nations League over the weekend. I assume everybody's watching Iceland, England. That's the big game we're all excited about, right? Um, sure. Then we will be back on Monday. And starting next week, we will have our Premier League previews, probably in three different parts. So next week is a big Premier League preview extravaganza on the Total Soccer Show. I Taylor, am- I'll be talking to you then. I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited to see Harry Maguire go play for England. That's going to happen, right? It's not he has withdrawn from the squad. Connor Cody. Connor Cody was called up instead, which is interesting. Um, All right. And if you want to talk England, I'm back in now. If you want to talk England briefly, it's a really odd squad that has no left backs in it. So I have no idea what Gareth Southgate is planning, um, but I'm sure it's going to be interesting. But Phil Foden's in there as well, which is... um, Yeah, left back. Put him in there. Why not? Yeah, maybe. Maybe Jack Grealish is in there. It's a fascinating England squad. Put Phil Foden at left back. We know Man City maybe aren't always in love with their left back options. Maybe Pep sees that. Phil Foden becomes the new starting England left back, and we see where it goes. He'll be uh, England Zinchenko. Perfect. That's what we all want. That's the ceiling for him. (laughs) I'm going to close it out, Tyler, by saying Uh thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. And listeners, thank you for listening. We will be back again next week with our Premier League preview.